So today we continue our year-long series of sermons called The Story with the capital S. For all of 2021, we're walking through the big picture of the Bible that you and I might find our, our role in what God is doing in this world. Throughout the first half of the Bible, we've heard about a coming hero, a wounded champion called the Messiah, called the Christ, who's going to lead an eternal kingdom. Now we're in the second half of the Bible, and we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ. He's fully God, he's fully human, that God wrapped himself in human flesh and came to earth on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us to God. And that's what his life was about, that's what his death was about. But then on the third day, the crucified Jesus was raised from the dead. He's also the conqueror of death. He is the perfect sacrifice vindicated by God in his resurrection. And Jesus' invitation remains the same. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. So whatever you uh, think or believe about baptism, at the heart of it is that, is people responding, whether as an individual or as a family, to the invitation of Jesus. Come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. We're in the later books of the Bible now, and what we see in the later books of the Bible, in fact, we see it in our world today, is we see God the Holy Spirit empowering, filling up followers of Jesus, empowering us to push the hope and the mercy of Jesus wider and wider as it also goes deeper and deeper into every heart that opens to Him. The Holy Spirit empowers followers of Jesus to push His hope and His mercy further out and further in. Jesus said these words at the beginning of Acts. Acts 1.8 says, this is Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So as a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, God the Holy Spirit empowers us to find our greatest purpose in Jesus' mission, which is that you will be my witnesses, you'll be my ambassadors, you'll be my ministers where you are and in your region and across lines of division and even to the ends of the earth. That's a deep calling. That's a deep calling to be a representative, an ambassador, a minister for Jesus where you are and in your region and across lines of division and even to the ends of the earth. But one of the problems that comes up when we study some of the earliest Christians is that we can psych ourselves out. We can start to think things like, well, I can't preach like Peter. I cannot encourage and coach like Priscilla, like Aquila, like Barnabas. And then there's the guy we've been looking at the last few weeks, the Apostle Paul, who had this dramatic conversion. He wrote a lot of the books of the New Testament. He started a lot of the earliest churches. So we look at Christians, early Christians, especially somebody like Paul, and we say, I can't do that. In Paul's case, he's a genius. He wrote great theology. He was so driven, he would start a church and then start another church and then start another church. I can't do that. I'm just me. I'm not that capable. I have a job. I have a family. I have so much work to do. I can't do all that. I can't be a super Christian. So to be clear in all this, in, the, in Paul's case, because we've been talking about him this month, Paul was a driven leader and theologian. However, he made his greatest impact through relationships, through his deep care for other people. Sometimes we can over-romanticize the early days, the good old days. The earliest Christians were figuring things out on the fly. 
I mean, yes, they knew the deep calling that Jesus had given them, and they knew the Holy Spirit was empowering them, and they were figuring it out on the fly. A few weeks ago, we looked at, at, at how they became so fixated on relationships with each other that they lost sight of the mission that Jesus had given them. They had huddled up in Jerusalem. But then persecution came, and persecution forced them out to Judea and out to Samaria, ultimately to the ends of the earth, to places like the Lake Norman YMCA, which is the ends of the earth, if you're based in Jerusalem. They got back on mission. But then what happened to the relationships? Well, here's what happened over time. The earliest Christians realized over time that they had a deep calling and a deep love. Say those two with me. They had a deep calling and a deep love. The early Christians realized Jesus had given them a deep calling and a deep love, like peanut butter and jelly. They're fine apart. They're better together. So the earliest Christians, people like Paul, like Barnabas, went from town to town. They would see people put their faith in Jesus. They'd gather those people together into their church family. They'd find a handful of the more mature believers who were gifted as leaders or gifted with wisdom. They'd make them the elders of the congregation and tell them, cultivate here a deep love for one another and stay on mission together. Welcome the cautious and the curious into your midst. Spread the hope and mercy of Jesus further out and further in. Got it? Good. They go on to the next town. Church families started to pop up all around the Mediterranean, across the Middle East, northern Africa, uh, Greece, eventually even into Rome. And their church families held together by a deep calling, deep love like a soft taco from the Taco Bell and a Dr. Pepper. They're fine apart, better together. Invariably then, these church families would start to have some issues, and Paul would write a letter to them. That's actually how we got a number of the books of the New Testament. They're these letters that Paul had to write back to these struggling churches. So if you look in the Bible, you'll see a book called Romans. That's Paul's letter to the church in Rome. You'll see a book called Ephesians. That's Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul was the author of many of these letters, although he often had someone else physically write them down. He more dictated than physically wrote down. And the reasons for this are, are the stuff of, uh, you know, theology papers. Was he frail? Did he have bad eyesight? Did he just have poor penmanship? Not, not a good first grade teacher? What was the deal? Because he was literate, but he was more the dictator, and someone else would physically write them down. In fact, if you read the end of most of the letters, it'll say, hey, my name is Larry. I wrote this letter down for Paul. Lariticus, probably. They all have those kind of Roman names. <laughs> but I love when you read the New Testament through this lens, because you realize problems in the church have been with the church from the very beginning. I mean, the reason there's problems in the church is we let people like you and me in, and it's always been that way. That's why the New Testament exists, is to help solve these issues the churches were running into. So there's always been room for people like you and me in God's family and in God's church. There are lots of problems with churches, and we could get rid of them by raising the bar and throwing all of us out. But instead, we press on, we grow together. We find deeper levels of love, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Deep calling, deep
deep love. The point I'm trying to make here is that the Bible is not asking all of us to be driven leaders, to be great theologians, that those are specific gifts that God gave, for instance, to Paul. You might have different God-given gifts. You might be a great administrator. You might be extremely merciful. You might have an eagerness to serve people. You might have great wisdom. You might be a great linguist. You might be great at encouraging people or at giving generously. Or you might be great at leading or understanding and teaching about God. The point is, whatever gifts God has given you, use those gifts to love God and other people. To push the hope and the mercy of Jesus further out and further in. To pursue the deep calling and deep love. Because like strawberries and chocolate, I must be hungry as I was writing this sermon. Good apart, better together. Whatever gifts God has given you, use those gifts to love God, to love other people, to help our church family pursue our deep calling and our deep love. As you share wisdom with a friend, as you use your voice to sing to God or show mercy to a hurting person, use your gifts. And in the midst of using your gifts, and I think the earliest Christians are trying to teach us this and we often overlook it. In the midst of using your gifts, keep your focus on relationships, on a deep concern for other people. Because when we read the Bible, we're often looking for truths about God, reminders of God's grace, words to live by, a strength for today, a bright hope for tomorrow. And these are all good things. But I think sometimes we read right over the parts of the Bible that are about the deep love the earliest Christians developed for one another as they pursued the mission that God had given them together. A great example of this comes from the passage Sims read for us earlier in Acts chapter 20, which says this in verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem, he's hustling to get there, but he realizes he's close enough to Ephesus, uh, sort of Asia Minor, Turkey, where Turkey and Greece hit part of the map. He's close enough to Ephesus, he asked the Ephesian elders to come and talk with him. So what kind of driven leader and theologian is this? He's under a time crunch, and yet he detours a little to see some friends. He has a deep calling, but also deep love. He tells the Ephesian elders a number of great things in his visit. For example, he tells them, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul reminds these friends of the core of the Christian faith that God's family is open to all people. God's family is open to all people who realize that something has got to change. And so we turn to Jesus. We turn in trust. And not truckloads of trust, just a little bit more than no trust. That He will reconcile us to God and to all that God wants for us. That there's room in God's family for you and for me because of Jesus. No matter who you are, there is room in God's family for you for me, because of Jesus. Then Paul tells his friends, these elders in Ephesus, he is going to Jerusalem, although he is confident that hardship awaits him there. 
But the Holy Spirit has convicted him that he needs to go. And in Jerusalem, what's going to happen is that Paul is going to set off a chain of events that is both going to spread the hope of Jesus and history tells us will cost him his life. And yet, he tells the Ephesian elders this, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's a deep calling. He goes on to tell the Ephesian elders they will likely never see him again. And so he encourages them to watch over the church family carefully because hardship is coming to them too. They're going to need to keep the church on mission. They're going to need to keep cultivating a deep love for one another because hardship is coming to them. And as they cultivate this deep love for one another, they will start to share that deep love with the people outside of their immediate community. And that will continue to change the place of Ephesus. And then Paul concludes by reminding them of the words of Jesus. He reminds them, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hope, kindness, grace, truth, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So that's a quote from the Bible. It's actually from the very mouth of Jesus. So God has the copyright on that quote. If you have ever used those words, it's more blessed to give than receive, especially around Christmas time to your children. If you have ever used that phrase and not paid God royalties, we are going to receive an offering here in a few minutes. I always like to see how people will respond to that. It ends with this way. The passage ends this way. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. That's deep love. And so they walked him to the boat. And he sailed away, never to be seen by them again, until they all arrived at eternity's shore. Paul was not just a driven leader and a careful theologian. The Holy Spirit had cultivated in him a deep love for other people, and that love was reciprocated. He did pursue with intensity the deep calling to push the hope and mercy of Jesus further out and further in. But he also pursued with an equal intention the development of a deep love of the men and the women, the young men, the young women, the boys and the girls who worked alongside him. Deep calling, deep love. They're okay apart. They're better together. You and I our church family, or whatever church family you're a part of, we are better together. This is the enduring gift of Jesus to us. 
Not only has he opened wide the doors of God's family, not only does he invite us to come home to trust our lives into his nail-scarred hands, but when we do that, he sends the Holy Spirit into our lives, and through the Spirit, we find a new purpose and a new community. Jesus gifts his followers with a new purpose and a new community. A new purpose and a new community. The deep calling of Acts 1-8 to spread his hope and mercy into every nook and cranny of creation, further out, further in. But we don't do this alone. We are better together in a community, in a church, a church family, in which the Spirit cultivates in us a deeper love. The Holy Spirit cultivates in us a deeper love in the good times and in the hard times. When there's celebration and when there's conflict, The Spirit works through all of it. If we'll let Him, if we'll join in with Him, the Spirit works through all of it to cultivate in us a deep love for the men and the women, the young men, the young women, the boys and the girls who serve alongside us. The point being, the church is designed to be a place in which we do the hard work, the fun work, the celebrative work, but sometimes the hard work of cultivating a deep love for one another. And then as we learn to love other people deeply, what we find is that actually spills out into our our ability to love people outside of our church family more deeply and to walk through the hard stuff with those folks. And as we learn to love people outside of our immediate community more deeply, we find that the hope and mercy of Jesus goes further out as it's going further in. And so the deep calling and the deep love keep working together to create something beautiful. Paul's most famous theological book in the Bible is a book called Romans. One modern theologian loved it so much, he said if he were stranded on a desert island with only one book of the Bible, he would pick the book of Romans. I, of course, disagree with that. I would pick the book Genesis. Genesis has detailed instructions for building a boat. (laughs) If you were here at the beginning, you remember that. Mike Flowers came from Gethsemane and preached on that boat. Folks have been saying, when's Pastor Flowers coming back to preach? Don't blame you. But what I'm afraid happens with the book of Romans is that I, I know I do this, we too quickly skip over the last chapter of the book. So in Romans, there are 16 chapters. The first 15 chapters are theology, and then there's the 16th chapter. And by that time, I'm in a skimming mode, so I just kind of skim the last chapter. So my ask of you this week as I close is simply this. Read Romans 16. Read Romans 16 and reflect with gratitude on the deep calling and the deep love to which Jesus is inviting you. Read Romans 16 and reflect with gratitude on the deep calling and the deep love to which Jesus is inviting you. So it's a Bible chapter, which means it's about a page long. And if you don't know much about the Bible, that's fine. You have a whole week to find the book called Romans and the 16th chapter. If you're on an app, 
That's reasonably easy. If you have a physical Bible, you find Romans, then you find the big 16. And uh, it'll basically, it'll be the end of the book. You'll, you'll figure that out. It's the end of the book. It begins with the words, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. You'll know you're in the right place if the first words are, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, or something to that effect. Of course, if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to take one on the way out. There's a little bin of Bibles. You can have it. We would love that. This is a week in which we emphasize gratitude. And I invite you to find this chapter of the Bible, no matter how much or little you know about the Bible, find this chapter of the Bible and reflect with gratitude as you read it, remembering it's written by a driven leader, a driven theologian, but reflect with gratitude on what it's showing you about Jesus' invitation to you. An invitation into deep calling and deep love. And as you read it, you'll want to keep just one thing in the back of your mind. That is that when Paul wrote those words, or had someone write them for him, when Paul wrote those words, he had not yet visited Rome. You'll want to remember that. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring in your heart or your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, today we have seen people stand before us to partner in the work that you've given our church, to confess that we have decided to follow you. And that you do this work from generation to generation. And so, Lord, I pray that has a shaping effect on each of us to remember our own commitment to you or to consider what it would mean to to commit our lives to you. That this is something that still happens in the 21st century. People continue to find new life in the invitation of Jesus who says, come, follow me, and I will repurpose your life. Lord, when we say yes to you, may we receive the gift of your new purpose and a new community where we we develop a a deeper awareness of the deep calling and the deep love you've put in our lives. Lord, no matter what we're going through this morning, would you use the opportunity to draw us closer to you and to make us people? more aware of who you are 
and the deep calling and the deep love to which you invite us. We pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.